1: 18 plus. Hello,
2: I'm Scott Soskin,
1: and I'm Evan Novi Williams, and this is the Sportacast.
2: All right, Mr. Novi Williams, I love this story for just so many reasons. Uh, I'll, I'll tee up the top line, sort of what happened. And then you sort of come in with the, the backstory, and then we'll discuss. So a Nike executive, Ann Hebert, VP GM of Nike North America, 25 years with the company, has stepped down. And this isn't a give me my gold watch, I'm done. I don't think. They didn't really give a reason. <laughs> but the timing is very interesting because it came on the heels Of a story published by Bloomberg that said, and you fill in the blank,
1: (laughs) so the, the, Business Week magazine, our former colleagues published something about this new alternative asset class that is sneakers. And the main character of that story was a 19-year-old named Joe. It's Ann's son. And I don't know if it's Hebert or, or Hebert, Uh, but he, he goes by West yeah, I Coast I Joe. I don't know. Like
2: Bobby Bear, he, the, the Saints quarterback or Falcons <laughs> Guy, quarterback?
1: Guy Bear is where I was going. Um, anyway, so Joe, he's known as West Coast Joe, is a prolific sneaker reseller. He's 19 years old. He recently dropped out of college to do this full time. During the pandemic, he was making as much as $600,000 a month. Scott, essentially his business model was,
2: yeah, that was their high, but there was like regularly 100, 200,000 in revenue per month. Good not bad, not,
1: not a bad haul. And and how he was doing it was he's essentially front running releases of sneakers. So he knows which limited release sneakers are going to be uh, valuable on resale. Almost immediately. He built a number of bots to crash those resales and get as many of those shoes as possible for folks who follow the ticketing world. This is the same kind of technology that broker, you know, bot spam brokers will use to get as many Bruce Springsteen tickets as they can the minute they go on sale. The the same technology is the reason that you can't get Taylor Swift and Bruce Springsteen tickets when they, when they drop, it's the same technology. And then he was reselling them where the controversy can't buy like a
2: thousand of them.
1: You shouldn't be able to, but he was right. you can't right? do right. anything not anybody
2: should be able to buy a thousand. He was bypassing the purchase limits, but he had it in. Nobody exactly. knew about the in. go ahead,
1: and this is the problem the, the the relationship uh he was using his mother's corporate credit card uh for for one two a lot of what he's doing was not. Unique to him. Anybody, you know, can create a bot. Anybody can do the market research to see what shoes were available. Some insiders seem to think that that he was he was operating under better information about when shoes would be available, sometimes where they would be available, what the what, what the amount that were being dropped. Where he seemed to have more information about scarcity and value than others did. And you know, the the, the story I, I'm sure you read it, Scott, but the way this journalist connected. Him to his mother when he talked to Joe on the phone. The um, it's not like Joe disclosed this when he talked to Joe on the phone. The the caller ID yeah, said, "Here's he, he well, like, let's say all bear. the time
2: he would say, right." But we should say he he did not identify his mother. He didn't disclose that he would always just say that I had connections, like I would have some, and of course that that was it. But then, like you said, like he's speaking to a you know an, an international publication called the reporter, and lo and behold, on the caller ID, pops up his mother's name. Kudos to the reporter for saying, wait a minute, that name sounds familiar and is on the masthead at Nike, and dots were connected.
1: And then he also shared bank statements, uh, just to kind of prove that he was making the money. He said he was making, and Anne's name was also, you know, that's how they found out it was Anne's credit card, because that right. was on those statements. Uh, and there's still a lot. We should say a lot we don't know here. Nike told Bloomberg that that, that Anne had disclosed her son's business information a few years ago, and Nike also said that that they weren't aware of any. Direct violations of, of company policy. The fact that she stepped down is certainly, you know, telling of of something. I mean, we don't know exactly what. Nike employees are, are expressly expressly forbidden from taking part in in the reselling because of the inside information and in the inside tracks that they have and had been there for twenty five years, Scott. She was a vice president, GM yeah. of North America. She was also running Nike's corporate direct offense, which is essentially the, the part of the business that was reshaping the way that Nike drops these really expensive, really valuable shoes. And the, the point of that reshuffling from, from, from an approach to these shoes was essentially to avoid people like Joe. Nike realized that they were getting fewer and fewer of the shoes they dropped were getting in the hands of the people who wanted to use them and wear them and really like them. And too many of them were getting in the hands of people who were using bots, who were buying as many as possible, who were trying to curb the market, who were then reselling them to the people who wanted them at much higher rates. Uh, So there's a lot of, a whole web of interconnected uh, problems in here.
2: There 's a lot of smoke, and you wonder if with the credit card, one version I read said that he was getting discounts because he was using that credit card. there was sort of an automatic discount that applied um, and, and Evan, you follow us a little more closely than I do, uh, both professionally and personally with all your your Iron Man and Triathlon running stuff. but like you have the Nike app downloaded, and you know about that digital shopping when you go to the store, and part of nike's I would say process is to try and avoid those. Those retailers these days—they want people going directly to Nike, the website, or in the store. They're trying to cut out the Footlocker's of the world,
1: right? That's exactly right. Yeah, and and to take it even one step further back, this feels like, in some ways, a conversation we seem to be having every week, Scott. Whether it's investors in GameStop or whether it's NBA Top Shot, the digital collectibles, this idea of a particularly young people investing their money in alternate asset classes whether it's shoes digital collectibles the, the the way that people are investing during the pandemic seems to really be shifting, and there you know there's entire new markets where people are dedicating their money, and shoes are just one of them. It, this is a story not not directly the son and the, and the mother etc. But 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 stories like this are going to pop up more and more of of young people, young entrepreneurs who are pushing the boundaries of what should be allowed perhaps, but are just kind of changing the way that people think about their money. It's less ETFs, it's less individual stocks, and it's more of you know, doing things that have kind of an online community. And honestly, if we're speaking clearly, some social clout built into it as well.
2: Yeah, all right. I am going to go for the old time stretch of segues here. You ready for this one? Yes. <laughs> they, they say eyes, are because we're talking about sneakers. So eyes are the window to the soul. This time I'm going S-O-L-E. So, now I transition to the eyes of Texas, a window into the donors of the University of Texas. Give me a rating on the segue. Uh,
1: six and a half oh, out of I, I, 12. Thought, I thought it would be
2: seven plus, <laughs> but all right. I'm not, I'm not too hurt. <laughs> go, go ahead. Uh, you want to explain this one? You want me to set it up? How do you want to do this one?
1: Yeah, I'll set it up and I'll, and I'll tee you up on it. The- okay. Essentially, the story here, and, and people probably followed this you know, over the past few years as it was happening, but there was a movement on Texas's campus. It's happened for a while, but but really came to a head in the past year or so about the eyes of Texas, the fight song that that is sung in the stadium uh, during and after Texas games. There was a, a push by athletes, by students on campus to get rid of it. The, the, the song has its roots in both the Confederacy and in minstrel shows back in the 1800s. Uh, and for, for those obvious reasons, you know, people wanted to, to stop the, the the tradition around the eyes of Texas. And uh, a lot of alumni, the people that donate a lot of money to Texas Longhorns and, and athletics were not so happy about that. The Texas Tribune got their hands on a lot of the emails that donors sent to the president of the university, Jay Hartzell. And Scott, the, uh, the emails are extremely telling.
2: Yeah, I, I love... I love the quote that they have put in there in the paper. One quote that was, they demanded the school stand up to cancel culture and then, quote, has everyone become oblivious of who supports athletics? Mm. So it's really like, do you know where the money comes from? And you better listen to us. So the paper got a hold of about 300 emails. 70% of the 300 demanded that they keep the song, just keep the song. And by the way, the president had already said they're keeping the song, but still, it was like a reiterative that we 70% of the 300, you better keep the song. 75, not the number, not percent, 75 of the 300 flat out said that they would stop giving money to the university because of this. A- and I guess the, the anecdote that's being shared here is that after a loss to Oklahoma, the quarterback at Texas, like the players used to hang out on the field and sing the song. Uh, the, it's the alma mater song. So they used to sing the eyes of Texas. And after a loss to Oklahoma, like the quarterback was the only kid out there. Like there was one person out there doing it. The rest of the team left the field. And that is sort of what sparked this outrage uh, among the donors. Um, I mean, months and months, like you said, the the students had protests. Uh, They petitioned the school to get rid of it. Uh, I I mean, I feel bad for the quarterback because he ultimately came out and said, I only stayed on the field because I was talking to the coaches. Right, it didn't want to make it seem that I was supporting the song, which, by the way, they, they come from, from words of Robert E. Lee. That's the inspiration for the song. Um, but you know better than most the value, the need, especially now with COVID-related losses in athletic departments. I mean, Texas ain't a small one. You know, Texas is a biggie. Everything bigger in Texas, like their budget, their football, their basketball, revenue-producing sports. Uh, if the donors stop giving for any reason, you could easily. Be looking at shortfalls in program,
1: and I can sh- I can share some numbers with you because I just I knew you'd the, have them, the, buddy. <laughs> I didn't even ask. I didn't know,
2: preparation I didn't even ask Evan why don't you get some numbers. I knew you'd do it.
1: So here is University of Texas athletics budget. I'm using 2019 because that's the the last non pandemic or non full pandemic year. Texas brought in almost 50 million dollars in contributions uh, from alumni. 39 of that 50 tied directly to football. The entire UT Longhorns Athletic Department expenses is about $200 million. So we're talking about a quarter, roughly a quarter, a little bit less than a quarter of the entire athletics budget comes in just from these donations alone. There's three main ways athletic departments make money, Scott. You know this. It's ticket sales, it's donations, and it's media. The ticket sales for Texas uh, in total, $67 million. That's the biggest piece of the pie. And the contributions are number two, just around $50 million. So that's how that's how important this is and, and, and the sad truth of it. And, 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 and this, th- this story from the Texas Tribune really lays that out is that this is, this is where the power is, unfortunately in college football. And, and if the people of Texas can say all they want, that these emails didn't influence the decision to keep, uh, to keep the song, to, to keep singing the song, they hired a coach who has also backed that approach. They can say that all they want, but it's, it's hard when you, when you know the numbers to think about, you know, these emails had to have had an effect in some capacity, maybe even just subconsciously in keeping that song around.
2: What if now the rock and the hard place comes in for the university president? What happens when, and let me know if you know where I'm going here, what happens when the five-star recruit says, this is the reason why I am not going to texas the star center on the basketball team the superstar quarterback says we shouldn't be doing this you know I cancel culture whatever you want whatever the reason may be if a star recruit or two or three or ten decide to say we ain't going to texas and this is the reason why all of a sudden the program doesn't win the donations go down anyway because boosters want winning programs then the president's in iraq what what happens what means more is it keeping the song or is it keeping a top 10, 25 team? What do the boosters care about more? They haven't been pushed there yet. I don't know. I think, that, but they want, in my estimation, they want both, right? But I don't know if they my, can have both.
1: Yeah, they can. I mean, they, we'll see. My gut tells me that the, the thing these people care about is, is winning, and they just don't see those two things as mutually exclusive right now. One of these other emails, Scott, kind of to this point uh, from a donor who graduated in 1970, quote less than six percent of our student current student body is black the tail cannot wag the dog <laughs> um, which is a Obviously, a horrible email to send, but but most of the people on the field. I'd be curious for Texas, what are the percentages of the, of the football games are not sports. are, are, are Wait, black, right? It's not six percent on the football team. That's what I mean. Give me a
2: give me the racial component, the makeup of the football team and the basketball team. Exactly, what that's a number that? I don't have, but it's obviously I, I,
1: significantly more than six percent. Um, so yes, the the we we saw some movements, and Texas had its own last year in in connection kind of with the with with the the furor over this song um but we've seen college athletes in the past few years get a little bit more you know a little bit feel a little bit more of their own power when Oklahoma State when their football coach uh Mike gundy was photographed and it was a hat or a shirt of of o a n uh, the, the right-wing news organization, their star running back Chuba Hubbard came out and essentially said he, I mean, I think he said he wouldn't play until you know he understood better why, play, why yep. his coach would appear uh, with that brand on him. So I think we're seeing more of that. I, I don't know if we're at the point now where um, where college athletes are going to say, hey, I'm not going to go to Texas uh, because of this. But I do think you're right. If there's a mass movement like that, I think that this policy may change fairly quickly. And, and another thing on this, if you look at the way that a lot of schools are hiring athletic directors now, it's become more or less, it's a development role. A lot of these guys are extremely charismatic and they come from fundraising. And And the reason why that's becoming kind of the main track to being an athletic director is because that is, that is so important. It, it's possibly the most, sadly, one of the most important parts of the job is being able to field dozens of emails like this from angry donors who say, hey, my seven-figure check is no longer coming because... X or because Y and and figuring out a way to keep that person happy while also kind of aligning with the with the goals of the university. Um, and you're seeing that kind of laid bare in these emails. It's, it's, it's the sad truth about kind of the, what athletic departments are beholden to right now in 2021.
2: All right, let's move forward from future athletes, perhaps knowing exactly what they're talking about to former athletes, certainly not understanding what they were talking about. And uh, our colleague Daniel Libet with, I, I called this a prestige journalism piece. Like I just loved this piece. I called him up and said, "Dude, this was amazing." Uh, people were were retweeting it. Um, you had Bobani Jones just said, "Read this on Twitter." Uh, who else was out there? There there were a bunch of others you know, in in the college space, uh, pointing finger at this story and saying, "Reading this." I will sum it up again. I'll I'll take the lead on this one, and and then you fill in the blanks. Everybody knows that there's a friend of the court brief that was filed last month in what is potentially, potentially a landmark Supreme Court case on the whole deal of amateurism in the NCAA, right? Um, A whole bunch, not a whole bunch, but how many? What was the total? Uh, 18 former college athletes purporting to support the NCAA's view that they must, must, must keep amateurism. The whole thing rests on these players not being able to get paid. They shouldn't get paid. The whole system crumbles if they get paid. 18 former athletes signed on as friends of that brief. And the case is called NCA versus Alston. And by the way, I mean, it, it's, it's going to the Supreme Court, oral arguments later this month. So it seems incongruous that former athletes would say, no, 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 you shouldn't pay the athletes. That, like, that, that shouldn't be. But you did have a bunch of them, and the star name in this whole thing was Darren McFadden, a former running back at the University of Arkansas. I think he finished second in the Heisman voting twice. He played in the NFL, now retired from there. He was one of the guys uh, and, and, and women who signed on former athletes saying, we agree with the NCAA. Now, Evan, you take over because Daniel having spoken to some of these, these
1: people, you know, maybe they don't so much agree with the NCAA, right? <laughs> yeah, Daniel spoke with with Darren McFadden, you know, who, who laid out his thoughts on, on all this. And, and when he was done, Daniel was thinking, you know, that, that sounds a lot like the other side. <laughs> the idea that you, when you're a, a pro in, in the NFL, you can take care of your family, but that's not an opportunity, sadly, that, that athletes have when they're in college. Um, and that's essentially what the Alston side of NCAA versus Alston is arguing. Daniel spoke with another A member of the brief, Walter Bond, he's a former basketball star at Minnesota, who later told him, I think I misunderstood what I was putting my name on. There was a a third college basketball player, Trey Kelly, who essentially said that he put his name on it as a favor to a buddy of his who worked at the law firm that's working with the NCAA. Uh, There are so many people that seem to have signed this brief, which had a fairly big impact. It's it's a pretty substantial piece of the the testimony and evidence and support of what the NCAA is saying that seem to have signed it and don't really seem to believe the thing or the, or, 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 or the motivation behind the brief. It's it's really stunning, Scott.
2: The, the stunning is, you know, I just did it for a friend who worked at the firm and, and the firm is Orrick Harrington and Sutcliffe that they filed the brief for the NCAA. Uh, they, they gave Daniel a statement saying that any contention that the, the, the folks didn't know what they were talking about is, is, is wrong. Um, that they do support the NCAA's perspective on this. Uh, just you know, just to show full full what they what they said, but uh, you, you wonder, Evan, like the motivation for each. I I didn't think I didn't know. I was helping a friend. There are some though who who do clearly understand, and often in the Olympic sports. I don't want to say there's just one side to the story, and say it's impossible for a former athlete to not think that way, because there are some who who do believe that players getting paid will ultimately harm the the lower revenue sports and. They feel like that's the best way to, to, to help gymnastics or field hockey or some of the others. So that there is, but this is certainly going to be uh, a damaging point. Uh, if you're going to have an amicus brief, uh, you know, it, it really better be somebody who thinks the same way you do.
1: And it's also, it's unclear who, who wrote this brief the actual words in the brief, and and from what I understand, a brief is should be thrown out by the court if it's written by lawyers. So there, there's a there's another deeper, deeper legal concern here. And then also to the point you just made, Scott, I I would say it's getting harder and harder to even understand where people within college sports stand on this issue, while the NCAA is defending NCAA versus Alston and 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 dragging its feet on name, image, and likeness. We have some of the biggest schools in in the country, like Notre Dame, which we talked about a few weeks ago on this podcast, explicitly saying we're excited about a new video game, but we're not going to participate in it. Would it it bother you if I hum
2: the theme song? (laughs) 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 (gasps) Can you you still go (laughs) while I'm doing that? (laughs) (laughs) I cannot. Uh, So pause. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know the eyes of (laughs) Texas. I'm sorry. I don't know that one.
1: (laughs) (laughs) But to finish the point, so while the NCAA is fighting X, we have schools and some of the biggest ones, including Notre Dame, are saying the exact opposite in very specific cases with regard to video games and other things. It's, it's just the, the position on the NCAA, which at the end of the day is just a collection of schools and is really, you know, run by the most powerful ones. It's getting harder to figure out even what the, what, what the power brokers on the school and NCAA side believe when it comes to all this. And we were three weeks away, March. 31st and you and I have discussed this. Is is when you know the the, the first Supreme Court uh, open hearing happens, and I'm very curious to see what happens there.
2: Yeah, and you and I have discussed this, Eben, that the players really are starting to understand the power that they wield, and collective action at schools like Missouri um, have led to change. And if I'm an administrator these days, and I'm getting towards you know marquee events and Final Fours, and and playoff games and football, I, I just get very nervous. Like, are they going to show up? Are they going to pull a power move and say, we're not playing unless... Uh, um, I, I, I just get the notion, the sense that a lot of these players are understanding that there could be something bigger for them, a bigger, longer-lasting accomplishment than playing in a bowl game, than playing in a Final Four, collecting a ring or something, that they see there's a, a, a way to leave a more lasting mark.
1: Yeah. Yep. Agreed. hundred percent. Right. Well,
2: but I, we know it's been talked about. We'll see if it happens. All right. Well, that guy is Eben Novi Williams on Twitter at Novi underscore Williams on Twitter. I am at Soshnik. And once again, because our social media guru, Cora Veltman does not like it. If we don't promote the podcast on Twitter at Sportacast, which is what will be the centerpiece of the Sportico podcast network.